This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of SaltCityHoops.com. We are the ESPN Troop affiliate for the Utah Jazz. As always, Ben Dowsett joining me, associate editor of SaltCityHoops.com. And uh, we have one week until until the NBA draft. One week exactly. Like in Doesn't it start at 7 Mountain or no? I think it starts, it starts at 7 Eastern, 7 so Eastern, 5 p.m. So. Mountain Time. Your By this time, that- one week from now, we will very likely know who the Jazz's pick was, or if they traded the pick. Indeed. Um, that'll be, so that's 5 p.m. Mountain Time, on, right here on ESPN 700. We'll have coverage of it. And then that Friday, after after the draft, um, you and I will be on discussing who the Jazz draft. We'll have some audio from uh, interviews with those players, interviews with Dennis Lindsay, et cetera. So if we're going to blow that day out, it's it's going to be awesome. But this is this is our last show before the draft, and so we, we have a lot to talk about. Obviously, there's also this thing called the NBA Finals that happened last week that we, we want to talk a little bit about. Oh, yeah, as well. those. So we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, but mostly it's going to be a draft show. We're, we're going to talk a lot about the NBA draft and as those options are at number 12. That includes trades. Uh, we've asked you guys on Twitter to tweet us with your trade ideas for this number 12 pick. Um, or potentially involving other picks, anything yeah. draft related. You know, if you want to trade that number 54 pick, Go ahead. Hey. We, we'll take the ideas. It's an we, asset. We, yeah. No, it, it is. It's a very, very small one. But mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, so we've got a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven ideas so far to we talk got some, about. Oh, let's tell segment. them later we're going to have Lane Vashro. Yeah, the, no, I was just going oh, to give okay. me some credit. All right, all right. Eleven trade ideas. Eleven. That we're going to talk about in this segment. Uh, and then, yes, later on we will have Lane Vasho. He is he's one of the foremost statistical analysts out there, especially with relating to the NBA draft. He's actually based here in Utah, which I had no idea of until like three weeks ago. That's so, crazy. You didn't know I knew that. <laughs> well, okay. Um, so, uh, anyway, he's going to be in studio joining us for the kind of the middle of the show from about 745 till about 830 uh, talking about those statistical projections on on these picks that that are around the number twelve spot, and you know we'll go a little bit about uh, a, around that as well. We'll talk about Kristaps Porzingis, for example. Definitely, He's got a kind of a a controversial take on him, uh, and, and so yeah, we'll we'll have some fun. A lot of draft stuff, and guys, continue to send in your potential, especially during this first segment because that's when we're doing them. Is your hypothetical jazz trades? The good ones are getting read on air here uh, at Andy B Larson at Ben underscore Dowsett. Send those in to us, maybe both of us. If you want to tweet both of us, that works really well, too. Yeah. So let's start doing them. Let's go through. Okay. Do we want to go in order of how we've gotten them written here, or did you have some favorites? No, I, I let's just go in order. Okay. Uh, Jeff Mack, at Mack underscore jazz, says, if you're confident you could sign Millsap, would you trade favors in number 12 for number four? Let me start with this one. First of all, since we had our last show, this kind of Millsap quote-unquote report broke from, from another radio station. Mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you, Jazz fans out there, that it is very, very unlikely that mm-hmm. the Jazz actually signed Paul Millsap. Yeah. Now, here's what I've been told. The Jazz absolutely will call Paul Millsap day one. He's one of the best free agents out there. They would be 
negligent if they did not call Paul Millsap on day one because, you know, to see if, you know, maybe he wants to play with Elijah Millsap. You got maybe multiple connections here. You have to give a call at the yeah. very minimum. Yeah. And, and he's a good guy. I mean, great culture fit would be a great fit on the court as well. He's just probably a little bit too good and will probably be paid a little bit too much to be in a jazz uniform next yeah. season. And that's fine. But, you know, if, if that market doesn't appear for him for whatever reason, then the jazz get a great cheap player. Uh, you know, they're not going to say no. But Paul Millsap has about 10 million reasons not to sign with Utah. Those mm-hmm. would be $10 million uh, in terms of overall contract payment that the Jazz probably couldn't give him. Over the life made. of his next deal might be more than that. Yeah. And, and uh, so there's that. There's also that he's on a very successful Atlanta team mm-hmm. and um, seems very happy there. And... Yeah, and and, and there's the Jazz current front court situation, which people say you figure it out later, but you 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 still have to think about that situation. You two, you have two very clear starter level players in your front court already, and yeah. Millsap's not playing the three. By the way, for no, I got no. some questions about that. Paul Millsap is not an NBA three anymore ever. That's just not a thing. No, because it's 2015 now and not yeah. 2002. Yeah. By the way, real quick before we move on, you know who I do think should and will take a shot at Paul Millsap is Portland. They did a few years ago. It's different management. You think they will, even if LaMarcus Aldridge uh, I'm say, I, I should have qualified that with assuming LaMarcus leaves, which I guess is a large assumption. But if he does, I think Millsap should be one of the first calls they make. Oh, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. If, if, if Aldridge leaves, they need a four. He's a great fit. And they already tried signing him. I, I think Aldridge stays, though. I know there's, you think so? I, I really do. Okay. I, I think there are those rumors that he will leave, but he's talked about wanting to be a Blazer for life. Uh, I, I think, basically, that's it's more hope than realism that, Aldridge leaves. Right. Well, let's, let's keep, talk about this hypothetical about the anyway. Yeah. So the, the trade is favors a number 12 for number four. Would you do it? That <sighs> seems like a lot to me. To give up for four? Yeah. Um, uh, as we've mentioned before, there would have to be the right player there. I would only consider it for Russell or Porzingis, assuming one well, of them was Well, one of them is going to be there. Unless, I guess, Okafor falls. But really, yeah. I think the Lakers are taking Okafor at number two, and you don't have to worry about that. Okay. Um, uh, That's really, really close. I, I, I might, honestly. Really? I, I really, especially if it was Russell. I'm higher on Russell than I am on Porzingis. I really do, like Porzingis a lot. What do you do at the four position next year? If I'm aware that that doesn't leave you in the greatest circumstance, but as we've talked about, there are just, and this goes against many of the ideas that I go with as far as, as, as upside and fit and the, the trajectory of the team moving forward, but I think there's a certain level of potential superstar that you can't, that you almost just can't say no to taking a step back on the court next year just to have that person on your team for the next seven or more years. And I don't, I don't know if those guys are superstar-level players. I mean, we've talked a lot about how good those players are. And yes, if they both hit their absolute ceilings, you know, if D'Angelo Russell hits a James Harden ceiling and Przingis hits a Dirk with defense ceiling, then yeah, they're superstars. But quite frankly, they're not going to. Because that's how NBA prospects work. You know, I, I agree with Walt Perrin here that, in my mind, there, there's not a super-duper star, sure-thing prospect in this draft. Porzingis still has a lot of development to do. D'Angelo Russell, I, it, kind of the questions are the other way around, where I, I don't know if enough questions were asked of him in, at the college level. And once they are the, at the NBA level, I, I think Wesley Johnson isn't the right comp. But, I, you know, I think we could see some of those things where what was good enough at the college level isn't good enough at the NBA level. I see what you're saying. Now, you, you did ask what would we do with the for, with the power forward position. Well, the idea was if you were confident, you could yeah. sign Millsap. Now, but, but Jeff, the idea here is that there would have to be an absolutely massive amount of trust involved with that because you can't sign Millsap before the draft. You can, and you can't even really talk about it. You would have to, I mean, if you were to make that trade and then Millsap wasn't coming over... 
Not that it might not end up being the right trade long term, but if you couldn't have that ready-made replacement on the court ready, I don't think I. It's a, it's tough. And I, I will tri- I will tell you right now, the Jazz front office straight up does not have that level of confidence right. that they're going to sign. Of course not. Yeah. Ben Clark is our next trade idea. Out at Scouse underscore Roar. Scouse. That okay. Scouse. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Pick 12 and Trey for a pick number four. <laughs> God, and with I a wish. little dancing jig emoji. Trey Burke doesn't have a lot of Trey value right now Probably because negative. everyone sees. Not, it's not negative. He doesn't make enough money for it to be right. negative. It's slightly positive, but it's not number 12 to number four pick positive. I'm not even sure it's number 12 to number 11 positive. No, I don't think frankly. so either. So that's that's not going to happen. Let's move on. Zach Halford. Real, hey, just real quick. Dan Clayton wrote a piece on Salt City Hoops that actually went up today about the historical value of trading picks. So right. you should reference that with these sorts of things. And Trey Burke, nowhere close. Anyway, continue. Yes. At Zach Halford, at, or at Z Halford, Zach Halford is his name. Number 12 for Kenneth Reed. I think this trade would have been brilliant one season ago. Before Perhaps. the extension, right. before Fareed's pretty disappointing season last season. And I still think there might be enough hope for him in Denver, that, or they'd assume they could get more. The, I don't I, think so. You don't think they could get more than 12? I'm not sure they're getting 12 for Ty Lawson. You know, they're not getting six for Ty Lawson, first of all. I don't think they're getting six, but I think they could get 12, potentially. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's fair. I, I But Kenneth but Fareed, Fareed at isn't that as value, as, at, at, and at that contract, yeah. I just don't think that he gets, he has the value of number 12. And I don't think the Jazz would take him on no. as an expensive... Uh, kind of non-defending big man, third big man. Yeah, I don't see what they... He doesn't bring anything that they really need, and he, like you said, he's wildly expensive, way more expensive than he is valuable. Yeah. Uh, Bill M. at Hip Mr. Bully says, I'd trade down if it meant we could get Bobby Portis and DeLon Wright. So I, I'm throwing in this in there. Kind of the number 12 for 16 and 28. Those 16 and 28 would be Boston's picks. I don't know Possible. if DeLon Wright's lasting until 28. I kind of It's around where he's, he's projected, but smart somebody smart might. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if you're confident and your intelligence says he'll fall to 28, I think he'd be a good get at that spot. And I, I like Bobby Portis. I really do think he's not a high upside guy. I think he's going to have a 10-year NBA career where he's a fighter and a hustler and uh, almost Reggie Evans-esque in terms of just... Like a good floor. But also having length and height. You, you think know? the shot's so, going to come along? I know, I'm not sure. I mean, if it does, then maybe he's Paul Millsap-esque. And if it doesn't, then he's Paul Millsap without a... You know, Paul Millsap's rookie year-esque. Okay. And that's... I don't think he has quite the athleticism that Paul does. I should I should point that out. But if he's willing to work that hard, I you know, I, I think that's kind of the ceiling for what kind of player he could become. Is 12 enough to get you 16 and 28? I think so. You think so? Yeah. If Boston wants to move up, I think 28 is... Um, maybe not even enough for for that four move spot. That's I, a good point. You know, if I were the Jazz, I would ask for sixteen and a future first there rather than sixteen and twenty. Twenty eight's not that valuable. The, there's right. been a lot. Of, people have started to realize in recent years that late for very very late first round picks are probably less valuable than early second round picks because they're guaranteed on their contracts, whereas second round picks are not. Though you shouldn't sell either. We should point that out right. because you know the last pick that was sold, by the way, was Rudy, Rudy. Gobert, and that went. Um, Poorly for Denver, but Poorly very well for team you. selling. Yeah. All right. What's the next one? Danny Larue, uh, you, of Nate Duncan podcast fame. Yes. Um, somehow ending up with Frank Kaminsky and R.J. Hunter to complete the rotation. This so, is interesting because this is one possibility you don't really hear raised by anybody at all. Acquiring another pick in the similar range to where the Jazz are. 
Yeah, I, I mean, so I think you'd have to get number 12, and then I think you have to get around 20 or so to uh, get RJ Hunter. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking maybe you do uh, Toronto. Maybe you can do something like Trey Burke plus... 42 plus 54 for 20 that's probably not might have to get a future pick future first in there somewhere i mean maybe maybe you just do jazz uh okc pick or the golden state number 20 although or yeah or the okc pick or the golden state pick although i think both of those are less valuable than this year's number 20 Mm -hmm. maybe you find a way to make that work and get rj hunter i think the jazz do like rj hunter the big question with him is the defense um but he he does show an ability to at least get shots off, although he didn't make hardly any of them last year. Yeah, although I've heard a lot of people talk about how they thought that was the difficulty of the shots and the fact that he was the only guy anybody focused yeah, on in that offense. Yeah, but then stop taking shots. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, stop stop being Kobe if you're not Kobe. That's a decent point. That I I I don't love RJ Hunter as a prospect for that reason. I, you know, I wonder how he fits in as a role player, and maybe it is that he shoots. Fifty percent on catch and shoot open threes, and then you're you're thrilled. Yeah. But I, if the Jazz have a have their eye on him, they could do like what we're talking about, and then you try and get if they like Kaminsky or Turner, you try and get one of those guys at twelve. Both of those guys do complete the rotation very well. Yeah, though, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, you you almost wouldn't have to do anything with in free agency because they they would be able to fill those needs. At least mm-hmm. maybe not in year one. Again, a lot of rookies are not good year one. Yeah, but uh, you kind of have conceptually the right pieces in, pay, in mm-hmm. place. Rick Blackham uh, suggests this kind of complicated two trades in one sort of thing where the Jazz sent Trey Burke and the Golden State pick and number 12 to Detroit for number eight and then take that number eight pick and uh, add in next year's Jazz first round pick and uh, Trevor Booker's plus plus some unexpirings as necessary for the number four pick and Jose Calderon. From New York, okay. From New York, I, I so that My way question... you're taking on New York salary. Uh, you're sending some stuff to to Detroit in order to move up. My question is: Is that enough to move up to that slot with Detroit? Is Burke the Golden State pick and twelve enough to move up to eight in this draft? Probably, but I, I don't, don't think know. so. I don't know for sure. I don't. I, I think it's not enough. I think that's that's the part of the deal that breaks down. We have heard rumors that the Knicks would move into the mm-hmm. kind of the seven, eight, nine range uh, because they like the players there more if they were able to get a good veteran. Uh, does Trevor Booker, Booker does not really qualify, but maybe that 2016 first they can flip, knowing that the Jazz, you know, may be a lottery team next season. Uh, I you know I I don't know I I think that's decent value wise I don't know that it fits what those teams are looking for. yeah it seems a bit that's of a reach I, for both just a just a bit not much but a little bit of a reach for both and that Trey Burke I don't know helps what Stan Van Gundy is trying to do in Detroit in terms of scheme and I don't know that Jazz twenty sixteen first helps the Knicks in terms of them trying to get good right away. Okay. But that's an interesting idea as but far value as value wise, I think it's kinda close. Yeah, it's an interesting way to think about trying to get up to that point without having to sacrifice one of your favors or Hayward. Agreed. I yeah, I, I like the idea of using non favors Hayward assets to try get it to get to number four. And if and you get could one do it Russell and Przingis. If these teams would actually take those deals, sign me up like yeah. right away. If the Jazz could actually get there, and Booker is the only actual rotation player from last year that's the cost, right. I would definitely be, do it. Woo. Well, yeah. and Trey Burke, but yeah. Well, yeah, okay, sorry. Trey Burke played in a rotation. Sorry, Trey. Joe Pruden, Pruden, I'm not sure. At Joe JJDFB says if no one falls, so you know if not any of the kind of the top nine that we've talked about mm-hmm. um, fall, trade number twelve to Toronto for Patterson plus the number twenty pick. 
that's what Kevin Pelton suggested in his chat a couple of weeks ago with regards to the Jazz trading number 12 for Patrick Patterson. That's been a repeated topic on this show. I, I, I think it's the values in between there, and I think maybe 12 for Patrick Patterson is giving up too much for Patrick Patterson, but on the other hand, Patterson plus 20 is maybe... Giving up too much for Toronto. Too much for Toronto. So I, in my mind, I think you have to find something in between there. I like the idea of acquiring number 20, although maybe you do Patterson and number 20... And both trade seconds? number 12, and, yeah, and trade both seconds so that you get someone like R.J. Hunter and Patrick Patterson out of the draft. You get a veteran able to help right away, plus a, a shooter who can develop into maybe something. And Hunter's and not, the only guy they, to, they, not the only guy that might be there they might like. Justin that, Anderson, maybe? That's true. And, and you could see maybe one of like the Trey Lyles, Bobby Portis mm-hmm. sort of players. Someone, one of those, maybe Sam Decker gets to number 20. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think one of those guys that we kind of have in the top 16, 17. Kevon Looney, I think, could fall. Um, maybe you end up with one of those guys at number 20. And, and in the end, that's, that would be a pretty good draft. Yeah. All right. And, and I like how self-contained that is as well. Again, you're not giving up any rotation players. You're yeah. just improving the roster right away. Yeah. That might be my favorite of the deals thus far, um, if I add in that little quirk of giving them the second-round pick. Yeah, which I think you're right you'd have to do. The Jazz don't want to try to develop four rookies next season. Yeah, I mean, no. we, we saw that last year when they gave away the Jarnell Stokes pick. Uh, I guess not, you know, they pushed it down the road is the right sort of way to look at that. But they don't want to have to develop three or four rookies this year. I think they'll, they'll look to move number 54 or 42 or use it on a draft and stash guy so that they're only developing two rookies at most. Yeah. Of course, the irony there is that they ended up with seven rookies on, and on the roster at the end of the year, yeah. but regardless. Liam D at who underscore he play for Denver gets Rodney Hood, Trey Burke, Trevor Booker, Golden State Warriors first, and then the Knicks get Ty Lawson, number 12, the Jazz get number four. So a, from a Jazz perspective, the Jazz give up uh, Rodney Hood, Trey Brooke, Burke, Trevor Burker, Burke, <laughs> <laughs> ah, Trevor Booker, <laughs> the Golden State first round pick and the number 12 pick and get number four back. That's a lot. I don't know if that's a lot. Like those are those are four dimes in my book. You know, the Golden State first pick is is a bottom first pick. Trey Burke's not worth anything. Trevor Booker is not worth a ton. And Ronnie Hood Ronnie Hood's the best player in that deal, but he doesn't get you from number twelve to number four. Yeah. I don't know if you the Knicks do you think the Knicks would take that? Lawson and twelve for their fourth? I don't I guess they might, but they might. I ultimately and maybe Denver does it. I mean, I, I like the idea of finding a third team that makes that work. I don't think ultimately the Knicks say yes to that, uh, mostly because tri- Ty Lawson as a triangle point guard makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe they're over the triangle. I, I guess, I and I guess you maybe you do have to pull the trigger if you're the Jazz, assuming, like we said, Porzingis or Russell is there and you can grab one of those two guys. I mean, that's what we talked about, right? Is yeah. that if you're able to do that without moving Hayward Favors or Gobert, maybe you do it. That's without Hayward Favors and Gobert. I just it's, love it's Rodney really... Hood. I really like Rod. I know that, that you can't get too attached to him based on the sample of games that he played last year, but I just I really like the guy. Okay. It's it but I, I do think I'd probably have to go through with it if you could if you could do that. Yeah. You you would like Porzingis or Russell too. I would. Yes. <laughs> I would. I would definitely like those guys. Uh Nate Bosworth at N eight Boz. Nate Boz. Nate Bo- well, it's you see how the eight, eight comes after the end, so you say the so eight. So it's like as, a clever license yeah, plate, right, whatever. Right. But <laughs> I mean, I want people to be able to follow Nate Boz <laughs> if they so choose. So at N eight Boz B O Z, the second second this year. I'm guessing that's number fifty four yeah. for David Lee and a future 2019 unprotected first round pick. That I think is essentially 
what David Lee's value is. It's not Harrison Barnes. Sorry, Dan Clayton. Well, okay, I was talking with I was actually texting Dan before I came over here. Um we know that I've been vocally against the whole idea of bringing – here's my thing with David Lee, with assuming that it's not for uh, some other asset like a Harrison Barnes involved as well. Mm-hmm. What, what, are the, what are the Jazz getting for essentially – they would be eating up basically every cent of their cap flexibility. They, I believe they'd have to waive some non-guaranteeds yeah. to make it happen. They'd, so all your flexibility right away is gone. You cannot bring in anybody over the summer. For a 2019 first-round pick, the Jazz have 18 picks over the next four yeah. years. Do they really need more picks to eat up all their chances to improve the current roster next season on a team that wants to make the playoffs? Why? I don't understand. Trajectory-wise, I just don't. As People have been trumpeting this as a great move. It'll be just like the one a couple of years ago where they picked up Jefferson and Rush and got mm. picks out of it. But th- what picks does Golden State have to send that yeah, are going to matter to this team? And at this point, yeah, the Golden State 2019 pick is yeah. not, not an exciting uh, So. What I did think is that I, if the number 12 got involved with the Jazz and then Booker would have to be involved as well and Harrison Barnes coming from Golden State if they thought that his extension was going to be too large but in a couple of years. Harrison Barnes is not coming in that trade. He's, he's very likely happening. not, but I wouldn't even never consider it unless ever, ever. Right. So, that framework was in play. And that's the thing. I, I, I think Philly can find – or sorry, Golden State can find that deal with Philadelphia and get and just trade them the first – for them taking on the $15 million. And Philly's the perfect team that would do that with yeah. no problem because they're not going to use the cap space next year. Yeah. They'll say, sweet, thank you for the unprotected first-round pick. Yeah. yeah. If you're not you're bringing... right that the Jazz are not in that spot. Yeah, well, I don't know. And be, assuming that they... Even if you don't think next year is the year for them to try and make a playoff run, what are they getting of value to completely eat up their chance to improve their team in, by the way, the last summer where their cap space they have is an advantage over teams that don't have it? Because yeah. guess what? The following summer, everybody has it. Agreed. I, You know, that David Lee thing is real in that the Jazz were interested in finding out what they could get for David Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think that's enough, and I think ultimately they're going to be outbid in that David Lee sort of sweepstakes, I guess. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a team that's going to willing be willing to take less. Yeah. Uh, another one from Matt, who we play for, Liam D. That's, uh, let's see. Oh, no, I've that's got the, the one same in there. one. Sorry, we Denver. Heard, okay, cool. We just pasted it in twice. Casey Greer, though, has one. Uh, how about a framework of number 12 for Trevor Ariza? From the I like this here? suggestion. I like it, too, and it's clever and creative. Go, Casey. I mean, I, I, I do you think Houston's willing to do it? That's my thing. Probably not, but you with Daryl Morey, I will say that, especially if he has his sights on, like, a LaMarcus type of guy and thinks he can really get him, Daryl Morey will pull that. We saw last year with Jeremy Lin. He pulled the trigger on that before he knew whether Chris Bosh could come yeah. just to to make room for Chris. It ended up being a mistake because Chris Bosh didn't come, but he will do that if he thinks he has a shot at getting that kind of a guy. Ariza was good for them, if perhaps not wonderful last year. He's on a contract the Jazz could manage for the next few years. If there was interest, I would absolutely look at that if I were the Jazz. I think you might have to send something, just one little sweetener like a future pick to make to get Ariza. But the Jazz would have around the room to bring it back. Uh, Salary-wise, I, I like the move. He, he, I think he would add a potentially a lot for the Jazz. Yeah, and I wonder if Houston wants to make their like San Antonio Kawhi Leonard sort of trade, where if if they like someone at number twenty, at sorry number twelve, then they get that young guy in exchange for a kind of veteran player that yeah. they they have 
on the roster. I I think it makes some sense. I and it's it's creative because it's not something that we've heard before. It's yeah. not something that's really been discussed. Your favorite was earlier. I think this is my favorite of the ones we've read so can far. It, can it be my new favorite too? I think it can. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it's you're, either co- you're that copying or me, but Patrick it, but, Patterson. But I I, <laughs> I think the idea is kind of the same. Is trading down or out of this draft is more intriguing to me than trading up. Yeah. In terms of just what's likely to be able to get done. Yeah, as, um, and definitely as far as improving your roster in the short term, no question, of yeah. course, which is obvious. All right, well, those are our 11 trades. We've got more notifications from you guys in Twitter. We'll read those after the break. That's the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association, this is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. We've got Andy Larson and Ben Dowsett here, as always. But then we're also joined by a very special guest, Lane Vashro, as, as previously announced. Lane is, is one of the foremost draft prognosticators, uses statistical an- analytics to uh, kind of project which players will be good in the draft and, and, and make these projection models, which, honestly, I, I love reading. It's, it's really good work. So, Lane, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we're going to talk about the NBA Finals, which isn't your forte, Lane, but I, you know, feel free to jump into this conversation whenever you'd like. Man but, still watches basketball. Yeah, <laughs> watches a ton of it. So, um, uh, you know, uh, again, we're happy to have him here. I want to I want to read a couple of tweets uh, quickly before we before we really jump into it. Uh, first of all, from Richard Blackham. Remember, he was the one who had the two trades ideas to move the Jazz from number twelve to number eight and then to number four. Uh, said that the point also for the Knicks is to get out from underneath the Calderon contract. He's right that we didn't really talk about that benefit for the Knicks. Ultimately, I don't think that's still enough value for them. No, and I was from number four to number eight. What I said to Nick is that second, the the getting out from that while they already have cap space, which they do, is going to be secondary to the value they're bringing back. Like they're not going to take a lesser deal just to be like, oh, great, we got rid of Calderon's contract, we'll take less. They're not going to do that. And then we've got one other trade idea from sporadic regularity. So to bring our total to eleven, I realized I double counted from before. But anyway, so now we're telling the truth. Now, indeed, trade idea uh, number eight. Plus Jennings for number 12, Trey Burke, and the Oklahoma City 2018. Stan Van Gundy's on the record. Draft is 12 deep. Jazz get Mario Hazonia. I don't know that that's uh, Jennings. The Jennings to Burke gap is so wide. Yeah, I, I, I get why, you know, Brandon Jennings at this point with the injury issue is, is in his mind a salary dump, but I don't think that they're ready to give up on that. No. Definitely. So ultimately. Uh, you know, I, I like kind of the thought, but I, I just don't think they view Brandon Jennings in the same way that the Jazz might. And, and the Jazz, by the way, I'm not sure would be excited about taking on Brandon Jennings. I'm not sure they would be so. either, no. Anyway, and, and and that jump from number 12 to number 8, not great. The Jazz aren't that big of fans of Mario Hazonia either. So ultimately, I, I think it's it's the right sort of idea, but the wrong sort of pieces. Yeah. All right, let's talk NBA Finals. It was a good one. A- after after it all, after we had you know we had that like moment when we did the show on last Friday, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, no, it was Wednesday. Wednesday yeah. Where we were legitimately questioning like who we are as quote unquote basketball experts that we like to say on the radio that we are. Right? Like we had said, oh, the Warriors are going to win so easily. Warriors in four. Warriors in five. And then all of a sudden, the Cavs are up two one in a series where they didn't have Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Love. We were we were speechless in some sense. It was crazy. Uh, and then the Warriors won three games in a row. Order was restored to the world. 
I feel more confident in my abilities to like walk around with people like looking at me and <laughs> and I feel more confident on the streets of Salt Lake City. Well, you could see it, you know. You, I think we could see and we discussed it on the show last week that Cleveland was finding ways to minimize the talent gap. But like we've seen Golden State do a couple times in these playoffs, once they figured it out, they figured their way kind of around that. And in this case, it was getting Andrew Bogut basically completely out of the series, going with no players taller than Draymond Green on the court, except for the few minutes when Festus Azili came in. And it worked wonders. It, it screwed up all sorts of stuff with Cleveland's rotations as far as Timofey Mozgov. A lot of questions as to whether Cleveland approached that correctly or not. And the, it allowed their talent advantage, which I think everyone knew they, all, they still had, regardless of the result we were seeing, re- allowed that to shine through. I do really think that it's interesting that both times when they were down 2-1 in the series, both against Cleveland and against Memphis, it was a a giant lineup change that really saved them. Whether it was Andrew Bogut guarding Tony Allen um, in in Game 4 and and moving forward in in the Memphis series, or this series actually kind of the opposite and moving Andre Iguodala in the starting lineup for Andrew Bogut. um, And it takes cojones. (laughs) <laughs> to do that in the NBA Finals in the, yeah. with a lineup that won you 67 games in the regular season, one of the best regular season teams in a decade, that takes serious, serious cojones. So Kudos I, to Steve. Although I'll say that maybe less so because both the Heat and the Spurs did it in the previous two years, you know, changed who their starting rotations were in the Finals in order to ultimately win it. There was at least a precedent. Yeah, that's true. Steph Curry, still good at the basketball. Yeah, he ain't bad. Um, <laughs> The the whole Steph Curry Matthew Delvadova line seems like really naive yeah, right. and innocent now. Like it's just like, oh, how could we have possibly thought that this would go? I don't know. Continue to happen as it were, and not just be a fluke game by Delhi. Uh, but yeah, Steph Curry showed off who he is. Yeah, I think that that's you really don't need much more than that. He showcased exactly how important he is to the Golden State. All the baskets they scored, even the ones he was not involved in on the score sheet in any way were a result of him while he was on the him and the way the way the Cavs were playing him and Clay Thompson where they were essentially seeding three on twos everywhere else essentially to say you two guys are not reigning threes and Steph still managed to get his still managed to hit a bunch of big threes all right let's set this up (laughs) we're gonna give we're gonna give some Ben some time and space here to rant a little bit this is this is one of my favorite things that we get to do is just like let Ben get his anger and emotions out on on the airwaves by asking Ben, hey, Ben, should Andre Iguodala have won the NBA Finals MVP? Oh, man. Well, okay. Let me first start out by saying that if you are one of these people that subscribes to the, which I'm not, of course, that subscribes to the idea that you have to be on the winning team to win Finals MVP, which if that was the case, they'd probably make it a rule, don't you think? But if that was what was happening... There is no way Andre Iguodala was the leading candidate to win that award on his own team. It See, was Steph Curry. Uh, it was clearly Steph Curry. The guy, as I just said a second ago, every single offensive possession they play while he is on the floor, and the reasons why guys like Andre Iguodala are shooting 15 open shots a game in the finals like they were is because of Steph Curry and what he does. I agree with you on the offensive end. I think Andre Iguodala was kind of the Steph Curry of the Warriors' defense in that you look at how the Warriors actually performed when Iggy was on the court compared to when he was off. I believe they were like plus 65 when he was on, minus 30 when they were off. As much as Steph was important to the Warriors' offense, I think Iggy was equally as valuable to the Warriors' defense against this particular team. 
I, I disagree because of the the difficulty there is in creating. Well, first of all, the difficulty there is in creating offense as compared to playing great defense. I'm I'm not arguing Andre's defense wasn't incredibly valuable. It definitely was, but also it wasn't just Andre. They were. I I know the whole theme the whole time was they're not doubling LeBron and they're not bringing too much pressure. But the, first of all, it was not just LeBron operating on an island versus Andre Iguodala every possession. And I know he wasn't efficient or anything like that, but LeBron still did a great deal of things in this series. Why He had one of the most historic final series of all time, which is what we're going to get to now. The MVP <laughs> of this series was LeBron James. It wasn't close. It wasn't remotely close, and I'm far from the first person to say this. I know it's been a really hot topic of conversation uh, around the league, and the, the idea to me that because he wasn't on the winning team in a team sport – but an individual award, I think there's a massive disconnect there, first of all. And I want to cite just a couple of numbers for you. First of all is by Kevin Pelton's uh, WARP, W-A-R-P, wins above replacement player metric. Okay. Uh, everyone knows ESPN's Kevin Pelton. By that metric, the other Cavs players, all of the other players, except for LeBron, had a negative rating for the finals. The rest of their team was yeah. a negative WARP. And that includes Kyrie Irving's plus .3 from game one before he got injured. That's first of all, that's mind blowing. The fact that the rest of a final supporting cast could be a negative wins above replacement for the entire team. You're talking about your second best player and everyone down. There's, in my opinion, never really been too close a comparison for a final supporting cast as far as being as bad as the Cavs were collectively around LeBron. And some evidence of that was put out by Seth Partnow, our good friend of the program here, on Nylon Calculus. Now, this was before game six, though I don't think the numbers changed that much. To in game six as well, but so I guess a small grain of salt. If you include all LeBron offense, which was his turn, LeBron <laughs> offense, all okay. turn, all offense derived from LeBron in any way. So an assist chance, of actual basket, free throws, and offensive rebounds from LeBron's shots, like okay. the shots taken directly after those. The Cavs were shooting an effective field goal percentage of forty nine and a half, which isn't great. Sure, mm. everything else before through five games on. Nearly the same, 143 attempts versus 205 attempts. They were shooting 32.2%. The gulf there is so insanely massive. He compared that to somebody like Russell Westbrook from the regular season. All Westbrook offense was about 52%. Everything else for the Thunder was about 48% effective field goal percentage. Meaning, sure, Russ was doing some of the right things by taking such a massive load on his back, but really not a huge gap there. LeBron, that gap, that's a 17% gap in effective field goal percentage for every shot that didn't involve him in any way whatsoever. To me, I I mean, we don't have this certain bits of this data that Seth used going back all the way in history. But to me, I, I just don't, I don't think it's anywhere close. No player has ever shouldered a burden anywhere even remotely close in the finals with a supporting cast that was so bad. And to get them even to six games against a historically great team, to me, shouldn't especially while Steph, you know, Steph played well, and I just went into how great Steph was and how much he means to their offense. But it wasn't like he went supernova three or four times in the series and did, you know, was the complete driving force to Golden State winning the series, right? He was very good, but I think he was about maybe what we expected of him, right? Maybe not too much more than what we expected of him. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. That compared with. LeBron putting up one of the five greatest finals performances in all time. I think people got to swallow their pride and swallow historic precedent and realize that there's a reason historic precedent exists, and that's that sometimes unique stuff happens that changes historical precedent. Otherwise, nothing would ever change in the world, right? Like, 
trend wise? <laughs> was that I don't know. Lane, what do you think? Do you think LeBron was the Finals MVP? That was, by the way, <laughs> seven minutes. In case anyone was was timing. I'm sweating now. <laughs> I think. I mean, without a doubt, LeBron was the best player in in the Finals. He's the most valuable player by. I don't know the the most obvious definition of the term. Mm-hmm. I'm I, I kind of lean towards giving the MVP to the winning team. Okay. Um, uh, and I think Steph Curry was probably the most valuable player on the winning team. I I would like to step in and give a little defense to Iguodala though. Um, I mean I, I'm partial. He's been one of my favorite players for a long time, and he's he's always I felt like been a little disrespected. And it's really nice for me to see him actually get this kind of recognition but you say it yourself with how you're talking about you know the massive load uh usage role that lebron carried in these finals well on the other side of that how that that makes lebron ridiculously important for the offense but also makes whoever's in front of him equally important for the defense because whatever my whatever whatever advantage he has defend whatever advantage iguodala has defending lebron versus say an nba average small forward matters that many times over Magnified. it gets compounded yeah. with all of those times that he's he's there so imagine the warriors if they did not have him imagine if Harris Harrison Barnes was the best option they had and then they had somebody really bad sitting behind him on the bench yeah that that very well could have tilted the series it could have been a very different game if LeBron was able because LeBron was amazing dominant hugely productive but he wasn't terribly efficient imagine if he yeah. was on top of that, also converting at a higher percentage on his attempts. To me, that's the question is, yeah, so you can say the, the rest of the Cavaliers had negative warp, which means, yes, LeBron James was worth two wins by himself, which is, which is a Herculean task, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But if Steph Curry was not on the Warriors for this series, do they win? I mean, who's favored in that series? Probably still the Warriors, though I, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe the Cavs win that series. I think series. the Cavs would, would be its slight favorites. But, that, then you know, if, but if, if you take LeBron off the Cavs, sure, that's, and that's, that's what a 10-win tw- team in the regular season. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, I mean, so the Warriors won four games in the series, right? So if, if you're—I I guess if you're saying that LeBron's worth two wins, is, is Steph Curry worth two wins? You know, do they win— if without Steph, do the Cavs win in in six? I mean, I, these are the sort of questions that I kind of look at and and think about. It, likewise with Andre Iguodala, if if he's not on the Warriors at all, do the Cavs win at six? I I, I again kind of tend towards no there. I think yeah. they'd still probably be good enough, but it's uh, and in the end, ultimately, I have to admit I kind of agree with you, Ben. But, oh no. <laughs> But I, I think it's closer than than what you're saying, and I think that's ultimately why that historical precedent was able to win out despite LeBron's performance, which, as you point out, and I think fairly so, was was an incredible performance by an incredible player. The th- the only thing to me is that if this performance, especially while no one on no one on the other team truly leapt off the page at the, in a totally unexpected way, I think is fair to say. But does expectation? No, okay, play into it's, it? it's true. But while nobody was, you know, Andre was great defensively. But while no one was a tr- like no one was Kawhi Leonard last year in the finals, for example. Like no one, I don't think anyone on the Warriors this year made as was as good as Kawhi Leonard was last year for the Spurs. On I both, don't know. I, both I might ends, disagree. I, I, I think Kawhi shut down LeBron better than Iggy did this year. Plus, brought more off. It created actually had to create his own stuff offensively because he wasn't being left open by twenty feet every yeah, time he true. was on the court offensively. But my my thing is if. We are allowing that a losing player can still win the award in the right circumstance. I don't see how you craft a better circumstance ever yeah. again. I just don't see how you can have a player play better and still not win. That's right. I guess is what I'm saying. But He's got to yeah. win seven. He's got to win three games. Yeah, That's I guess. Good. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side, we've got more draft talk with Lane Vasho. 
uh, talking about his projections and, and what's going on around the number 12 pick. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson here alongside Ben Dowsett as usual. And our very special guest, Lane Vashro, draft prognosticator extraordinaire. Uh, I'm giving him the extraordinaire title instead of you. I'm it, sorry. And while, while it's the three of us in the studio, he deserves it much more than, <laughs> than me. All right. Well, let's let's talk about some of your projections, Lane, because I'm I'm curious to hear from you on a lot of things. First of all, where where can we find these projections? So, listeners, if you know if they're on their computers or listening to the podcast later on, uh, they can they can find what you what you do. Well, you can you can find. I have a lot of different. Um, tools and then uh, different projection models and they're all available on nylon calculus okay cool so on nylon calculus uh, and i've got it pulled up uh one of the kind of the most controversial points and especially with how christoph's Porzingis has risen in this in this year's draft at least over the last week is how you have him projected uh you know amongst the, the trio of porzingis turner and frank kaminsky you actually have him as lower than the other two um, you know why? Why is that? Why in your models does Porzingis kind of not measure up to those two guys, and and where does he fit as a prospect? Right. Well, um, you know, be, before I get I start getting mean about Porzingis, I, I want to be <laughs> nice because I do like him. I, 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 the numbers have him as a as a lottery pick, and I I think that's absolutely appropriate. You know, adding in my subjective opinion as well. I think he's a good prospect. I think there's a lot of appealing features to him. He's playing in the second toughest league in the world and he is you know a major player on that team it's very rare for somebody that young it's a terrible team but he's the guy I mean he's he's still you know one of the big players for that team um so there's a lot to like there's lots of you know there's lots of tools that he has that are exciting to people um I'm having a really hard time wrapping my mind around why he's getting the level of hype he is though Hmm. um I guess uh the big so the 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 huge concerns that pop out in the numbers are one his assist rate is uh it's it's miserable he's he's had um what is it uh i i'm not sure what, i'm not sure exactly how many assists he's had I have the, I have the per 40 right here uh this year in the in the ACB he had 0.8 assists per 40 minutes okay that's he not dumped, very good he bumped that up in the Euro Cup a little he it was up to 1.4 per 40 minutes in the yeah. which is still Pretty bad. Yeah, and it's like, and, and it's small. Set. And if you look across his career, and it, and he's and, you know uh, uh, assist over turnover rate of something like point five, or it's it's just he, he's he's not finding open players. Um, and this is a to me, it's a big deal, especially um, looking looking at historical similar prospects. It it really clusters him next to a lot of bad bust cases that we've seen in the past. Hmm. Um, most notably, I think is Andre Bargnani. Who is somebody who, if you if you match up their the two of their numbers from their pre NBA European career, um, Bargnani in the Italian league and uh, the Euro league and Porzingis in the ACB and the Euro Cup, um, they look they're almost indistinguishable. They they have the same. If, if anything, Bargnani looks a little better because he was he was more of an impressive shooter. Were they the same age when they or roughly or was Bargnani so a little older? The, the the numbers I'm referencing would be. Um, Bargnani, uh, the same two years plus one year older, and okay. that so roughly, yeah, roughly the same age, okay. roughly the same competition. The ACB is uh, considerably more difficult than the Italian league, but the Euro League is more difficult than the Euro Cup. So there's not a big, there's not a huge gap in terms of what these guys were dealing with. Okay. 
Um, uh, so the the assist rate is a real a real red flag. Um, the other one that pops out is this free throw rate. He doesn't get to the line. Um, this is concerning, obviously, in its own right, because you want a guy who's able, to, you know, getting the lines is extremely efficient in the NBA. But it also signals something that also we should be worried about is that he might be a little soft, and that yeah. comes out in the scouting reports sometimes. And the the, the thing I think is really important about pointing out these two flags is these are the things when you look at the numbers that stand out. This is what's wrong with this prospect. This is what we should be scared about. These are also the last two things that you're going to see when somebody's doing a workout in front of a bunch of GMs with nobody in front of them. You're not yeah. going to see his court vision. You're not going to see his feel for the game finding, finding teammates, and you're not going to see him taking contact. These are the last things that you're going to get. And of course he's going to look good. Of course he's going to look good taking jumpers in an open gym and being tall. Um, These I are mean, very good points. Are, are those um, criteria things that, that draft prospects typically improve on? Or from an assist and foul drawing standpoint, is that who they are? Uh, from, from large- it's not as deterministic as some things like um, blocks, I, I would say, is, is sort of you're not going to get better or worse than that with, with some minor deviation on that. But yeah, they're pretty stable. I mean, you you don't see a lot assists. Assists have some very variability associated more with role than anything else. I think your the the sort of mental mental tools that create the assists are pretty stable. But sometimes the guy's role can change a lot, and it can change his assists. I don't think there's any evidence that Porzingis is somehow in a role where he's not able to you know to get opportunities to pass the ball off. So here's my question, and and this involves some of your own subjective analysis as well, because of course you're, you 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 put some of that not directly into your model, but when you're right. talking about it, you can put that in. If you're a team that wants a potential shooting big in this draft, and you've got all three Kaminsky, Turner, Porzingis on the board for you at the time, would would he be the third one you would take out of that group as your model would suggest? I, I rate them very similarly. I think uh, I think I think Turner is is the the shoot for the stars the 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 most most intriguing high potential guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaminsky is clearly the best tomorrow. Um, I think he's the most likely to be the number one option on an offense, but I think there are some legitimate concerns about his defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Przingis is a, a really you know exciting all around combination of that a guy who can a guy who offers the right set of tools. But I'd be a little scared about him being a complete bust. You got me a little cautious now. I'm all, <laughs> now I'm all wondering about because I knew about the assists. I, I the foul rate wasn't something I had focused on. Yeah, and I, I think that's worthwhile. Heck, while you do some soul searching, yeah. we're going to go ahead and take a break. We've got much many more questions for Lane Vasho on the other side of the segment. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett. And then we've got Lane Vastro joining us, the the draft predictor that's using his his awesome statistical analysis models on nylonCalculus.com. Check that site out if you haven't already. It's kind of the hub for everything, having to do uh, any sort of analysis on online with basketball. It, it's fantastic. They do so well. I'm I don't write there anymore. I'm so glad to even be able to say that I did and that I was <laughs> kind of there like when it was first getting started. It was really awesome talking to those guys. And Lane, you were you were you got in not long like a month after or something mm-hmm. like that. It was the, the the and then seeing now how much they've done with it. They've accomplished so much. It's awesome. It, it's one of those blogs that I would say majority of NBA front offices are absolutely reading, yep. you know, maybe not every day, but on on a regular basis so that they're reading all of the content on there. Because they can use those sort of insights in how they run the team, you know, it's it's very smart and very, uh, very well done. So check it out if you haven't already. 
A couple of tweets to read just so uh, to get into it uh, about Perzingis. This is from Sporadic Regularity saying, Perzingis's IQ and feel uh, for the game are indeed questionable. Besides the assists, he has problems off ball and defense. He's a bit Ennis-ish, as in Ennis Cantor in those specific respects. <laughs> That's the game seems fair. too quick for him. It might improve with experience, but don't get me wrong. I still think he's an immense offensive talent with some potential in D, uh, defensive length and athleticism. Yeah, that sounds pretty I, similar to what Lane just told yeah, us. Yeah, agreed. So, again, thank you for the, the contributions. If you guys want to join us, uh, have any questions for Lane, please feel free to jump in. Tweet us at Ben underscore Dowsett, at Andy B. Larson, or yours, Lane, is at VJL underscore B-Ball. Is correct. that correct? Correct. Cool. Nice. All right, so feel free to tweet any of us during the show, and we'll, we'll try to get your uh, questions answered on the air. All right, I, I want to ask you about the kind of the other international guys. Moody is, you know, an American, but he played in China this year. And uh, Mario Hizonia, you, you've got both of them also lower than the, the top 10 consensus. Considerably, um, I'd say. And, you know, what is it that you see with those guys? Um, well, with Hizonia, um, honestly, in both cases, I don't trust the numbers that far for okay. different reasons. With uh, with Hizonia, we're talking about a guy who's on an extremely good team in you know the, one best, of the best non NBA yeah, league. I mean basically. He, he's and he's a bit player. He has a very strange role. He's not like any of the people that these models are trained on. It it makes it a, a different situation. Um so I don't really I don't think it's you get something out of the numbers, but I think most of what you get is, you know, he can play. He yeah. he doesn't have a bad rating at all. Um and frankly I think um if he wasn't currently involved in the in his own you know championship tournament and was able to come overseas and be doing uh, be doing uh, workouts in front of teams like Przingis says he's the one that everybody be raving about because physically I think he's much more impressed I think he's he's a guy who would step into a workout and wow people to an extent that I, I don't think. Przingis is capable. You gave us a comp in that regard before the break that I'm forcing you to say on the air right now. You said, yeah. and, and of course, you're not comparing him to this player, but from just a, a body standpoint, you yeah. said he looks like LeBron. He's physically, I mean, he's he's you know six foot nine, extremely you know built and strong, and he he does dunks that look like you know Zach Levine. He's a he, he's he's a crazy person. He's an, and Athlete. he's a shooter. He's okay. a shooter. He's he's. I mean, we're talking about a guy physically like that, and his his game is is his outside shooting, which is really good. He shoots a really high percentage, despite taking a lot of really stupid shots. Um, so it's I, I don't know. He's the kind of guy where I imagine if he was doing workouts, people people would be completely throwing Porzingis to the side and, and <laughs> screaming about you know Super Mario, the, the the hero from Europe. There are concerns with him though, right? Yeah, he's. I mean, uh, but a lot of it's it's the it's the personality stuff, and it and it it definitely leaks onto the court. He's he he he's a chucker. I mean, my 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 the comp I my go to comp for him is uh, J.R. Smith. Um, I think it 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 works pretty well physically. His game style. Um, yeah, he might be might be the kind of guy okay. you can never really coach out of several bad shots a game type of thing. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a scare on him. But I, I think he's the kind of guy who'd come into workout and just blow people's minds. Yeah. Um, for Moutier, uh, like I, I also you know the the CBA the Chinese basketball issue is, is is again another problem for for trying to run the statistics just mm-hmm. because there's there's not much overlap with the other international leagues, so it's tougher to really 
get a sense of you know what those what the numbers mean. Um, I think my takeaway with what he's done is we're we're talking about about a guy who is considered a one or you know the one or the two prospect coming into the season. He went into a league that has a lot of players who are better than anybody in the NCAA, um, mm-hmm. and he played well. He put up good round numbers. He he did excellent. He he had a a major injury setback, and he proved that you know he's he's tough and he's committed, and he, he built himself back up. He came back in the. You did know, he come back early? Wasn't it like a potentially he, a little early he, he for the recovery back, time? He, he came back early, and it, it was actually I think it was kind of unexpected that he came back at all because they the, because of the way it works, they had to um, drop their uh, another one of their Americans because you can only have you know two Americans playing over in that league, um, so they had to make a sacrifice to even let him in for the final two games. And he came in and he played admirably against tough competition. So he's a, I mean, I, I think again what we can say about him is that he he. Did nothing wrong. He he was a he was a top pick who went went overseas and did nothing wrong in his outing overseas. So you can't drop him too far. It's, yeah. it's, I, I think in general a lot of guys overperform their expectations this year. But and and so it's fair to drop him a little bit. But I I, I don't think it, I don't think it would be appropriate to let him slip too far. Your model has him twenty first right now, and by the way, has Hazonia twenty second. Well, you personally would probably have both those guys a little bit higher than much higher. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd have them both in the top ten. And okay. I think I think uh, my my uh, I, have, I have a couple different models, and some of them are much friendlier to uh, at least to Moutier. Um But uh, so his star potential is very high on your. Yeah, star I think his model. humble model, which which uh, includes the you know includes uh, includes uh, mock mock draft uh-huh. rating. Um, floats him quite a bit. Um, he's and and again, yeah, the CBA stuff. I just I just don't. I'm not going to get pessimistic about it because I think he did put up pretty nice. Numbers. Ooh, here this, we just got a really good question on Twitter for this exact subject uh, from Riley O'Brien. Uh, question for Lane: If Exum was in this draft and your team needed a point guard, who would you? T- I he included Exum, Moutier, and Russell. I think the clear answer there is Russell. I'm just going to ask Exum and Moutier. That's that is a good one. Yeah. Um. Similar problems too. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'd go with Moutier because, um, assuming let's let's pretend I didn't, I don't know anything about Exum from. Yeah, let's saying saying yeah. you don't know anything about yeah. Exum's rookie year. Yeah, I think just because what I do know about Moutier is that he he hung tough with you know in a professional league and he put up you mm-hmm. know, really solid numbers. And what I knew about Exum at the time is that it was really all. Speculation. Uh, yeah. Um, Russell would go, but, but for sure. Yeah, I, I take guys, Russell right? first, but, but, uh, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying Moutier ahead of Exum by much. It's just if, if I had to choose, I think I'd go Moutier. That was a good question, You've, Riley. Yeah, it was. You've got Russell neck and neck with Towns in, in your model, both in, in the EWP and, and in the humble rankings. If, you know, you're a Minnesota guy, you, you blog mm-hmm. for a Minnesota site for a long time. It, uh, do you still? I, I honestly mm-hmm. haven't kept Some, up. Sometimes, stuff. yeah. Okay. Um, do you, which of those guys would you take at number one? I mean, is is right. do you follow kind of the model your your EWP expected wins produce model, or do you kind of take the the guy everyone's talking about at at number one in, in towns? Or would well, you consider Okafor? Well, well, like you said, they're neck and neck. I mean, it's it's a uh, they're really indistinguishably in terms of the numbers. Um, but the thing with towns is 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 we're we're talking about a guy who a lot of the reason people are excited about him is for stuff that he didn't even do in college um, for the shooting, which. Is actually believable given his free throw percentage, what his rate for hitting three pointers in other you know, venues of competition. Um, so we're talking about a guy who one of his most exciting traits isn't even in the numbers that are being used to project yeah. him, and he still looks like arguably the best mm-hmm. prospect 
um, in the draft. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's easy, but he, I, I don't have any trouble picking Towns. I'd probably go with Towns. Yeah, I, I, I think he's the best so, the prospect. And, and also, I, I've, I've, maybe it's irrational, but there's, I suppose I've, I've uh, fallen into the trap of I couldn't pass on the big if, if they're that close. Yeah. Let me then kind of slide down to number twelve, where the Jazz are taking, and you know there are going to be a ton of different options there. I think it's clear. Uh, you know, Stanley Johnson might still be available if he falls. Sports Illustrated had him falling to number 12 in their latest mm-hmm. mock. Uh, Kevon Looney's there. Kelly Oubre will probably be there. Willie Cauley-Stein fell in, in a mock. I, I think that's less likely. Miles Turner, I think there's a real possibility, maybe mm-hmm. even a likelihood, that he's there at number 12. Out of all of those guys, and, you know, maybe Decker is in that in that range too, Devin yeah. Booker. Who who do you, who do you see at number twelve as as the best option if if you're drafting for the Jazz? Well, if Stanley Johnson falls, he's the one I like the most. Okay, um, he's probably he's probably my favorite. Um, you know, reasonably optimistic pick for the Jazz. I don't think he'll be there. I think somebody will take him. But agreed. Do you see him still, as a stretch four in the league? Is that what you think his no, best? No, use I is see him. Be? I see him no. as as a sort of Ronar Test style. Okay, um, three. Um, hmm. He actually, I think his statistical comps. It, Maybe it's maybe that's not still the case, but I know for most of the year he was actually very similar to Paul Pierce in terms of his huh. production. I don't know. I, I don't like that one much, but so he could play some four in the with the right teams and things like that. Oh yeah, especially if if if, if this uh, if this small ball thing keeps uh, keeps up. I, this I whole mean, small ball thing. Yeah, he's 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 t- he's, he's a he's a very he, he can absolutely play minutes at the four, but I think he's a three primarily. I mean, and and I think his I think his shootings. Real more so than I do with Winslow, who's a, a similar, a very similar player, better in some some regards. But I I think I think the shooting's more legitimate with Stanley. If Stanley wasn't there, you know, as as right. kind of expected, who's kind of next in line? I'm I'm gonna say um, Turner or Kaminsky. Okay. Um, but basically, the shooting. You th- that's. Well, so now that I'm thinking about Turner, maybe Turner's not that great of a fit for the Jazz, is he? I don't think um, he is personally. Yeah, that's been my he's thought. not. I mean, what I love about him is is he has the potential to be a legitimate, you know, shot blocking defensive anchor five who plays the stretch four role on offense and allows you to have a you know to to fill the four spot with the 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 cheapest, easiest to find thing there is, which is a garbage man four. Yeah, um, and I love that about him. But I mean. Obviously, Gobert's the future with the Jazz. So, mm-hmm. I mean, do you do you really need um, a guy who's a a plus plus shot blocker, but an awkward um, awkward in terms of lateral movement at the floor next to him? I don't think so. While we're here, I had a question I was going to ask later, but since we're on it right now, this has been half the crux of my argument between these two players because I I like both of them and I think they might be two of my highest realistic options. But I like Kaminsky a lot better mm-hmm. because of the potential fit. And so my question is, generally, especially for a team like the Jazz, who are they're not in asset accumulation mode anymore. They're Mm -hmm. clearly a team that has a defined core, a defined identity. They look they're looking to win next year. Do you think fit should be playing a role, potentially a large one at times, in a team's decision making when they draft in a slot like where the Jazz are, or should it be? And of course, you know, if the, if there's a huge value gap, you have to draft the guy you think has the much higher value. But I'm talking about if the value is somewhere close, which I think a lot of folks think it might be between a guy like Kaminsky and Turner. Do you have to think about fit when you're or do you just say, I have this guy half a percent higher on my board, therefore I'm taking him no matter what? What's right. your opinion? All your experience with the draft. What's your opinion there? 
I, I, I mean, I, I think it's probably smartest to give it very little weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think to the extent that you give it weight, I think you should think more about fit with the system, not fit with the, the players that you have. Um, because obviously, if you're a poor fit with the system, you're never going to. I mean, it's just if you if you can't use them, the player right, not only is he not going to succeed for you, but he's not going to demonstrate performance to have the trade value that would, you know, help you move him for somebody that fit better. So, but. In terms of personal, I just think there's 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 too much. I'm pretty, we are, we're always so confident about this is what the this is what our core is going to be. This is what the team's going to look like in three years. But if you you know if you go back and look at any team three years ago or what, and right. what, what what all the fans are talking about and what the GMs are talking about, they're going for it never works out. Like we're 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 always so confident, but but we're always wrong. It, it's it's that's fair. It's I'm going to die on this like, hill, I guess. Like every <laughs> other like every other hill, I'm going to die on is this. I don't think too many people agree with me. I, I want to ask you, Lane, uh, about Kelly Oubre. Uh, first of all, John, do we have the Kelly Oubre quote ready to go? Let's go ahead and play this because I, I think it's an interesting thing. He he has been very vocal about himself in, in workouts so far. Uh, let's go ahead and play the quote. You know, Jimmy Butler is a guy that's blossoming into a star right now. You know, he's a guy that I look up to, Kawhi Leonard. Um, James Harden's offensive skill is something that's, you know, compared with the best. So, you know, those three guys I really watch film on and I study um, and I feel like I can be, you know, as good as or better than those guys he he does and like his whole interview was like that where he thinks he can it, he's going to bring a championship to whatever team that drafts him and he's he he like kelly Oubre likes himself some kelly Oubre. <laughs> your your models are, are more bearish um your your what were your projections or your player comparisons for him again well yeah because so i do i do statistical comparisons as well so it finds the the player that you know, players, the past player seasons that were statistically the closest to a given player. Um, and if you run Kelly Oubre, you, you don't get um, Butler and Harden. You get uh, <laughs> Jermaine Jones, Vince Carter, and Matt okay. Harpering. I love Vince a- <laughs> Carter and Matt Harpering in the same comp for one play, yeah. same statistical comp for one player. It's- that's so great. <laughs> Well, I mean that—that's not a bad outcome. Like you're—you're no. you're thrilled with either Vince or Matt uh, Matt Harping at, at the number twelve spot, but it, you know he's—I—I I don't think he's a, a game-changing player like he believes. And ultimately, I think that's the sort of um, optimism that can really hurt a system. While while he's in, you know, if he's taking kind of superstar sort of shots, uh, you know, he—he's not going to be playing that role at least year one with with yeah. the Jazz. Yeah. Anyway, I, what I, about? Uh, oh, sorry, go I didn't ahead. mean to cut you off. Uh, Kevon Looney, uh, mm-hmm. your EWP model has Looney particularly high. Is this one where you agree pretty? Where you're pretty close with your model? And as far as things that I think it probably doesn't pick up, things like concerns about his motor, mm-hmm. uh, his injury to his hip, uh, whether he can guard at the four potentially yeah. in the league, are those concerns for you that might drop him a little lower than where your model has him? Or what do you think of Looney? I think I'd probably subjectively dock him a little bit. Um, he's he. he 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 fits. Uh, so I've looked previously at um, you know because you know I'm, I'm very happy with my numbers, but they're also very wrong a lot. Um, Everybody uh, is wrong a yeah. lot. We should mention that it's everyone who does this yeah. is yeah. wrong a lot. Yeah, no, that's yeah. I, I like to say that my my models are quite bad. They're just less bad than Most a lot people. of the yeah. alternatives. So yeah. it's a. Uh, um, but one of the one of the player types that so if if you look at the. The worst case, the cases where you know, where where I've been wrong the most, there a pattern emerges, and it's the guys like um, I'm trying to just off the top of the head who are some of the names. It's like uh, uh, Tyrus Thomas, uh, Stromile Swift, Stromile. Um, I, there, uh, a lot of very athletic, four-ish, five-ish kind of um, 
players who are just physically dominant in college and 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 also you know talent talented and skilled in many ways but they never really had to earn what they got the guys who like like uh, Kevon Looney who just just kind of goes out there and collects a bunch of offensive rebounds and and you know dances around and gets what he wants without necessarily having to develop much and um really create for himself in other ways and and I, I think it's kind of a it's a scary thing when you see these kind of guys especially if it, the takeaway from interviews and stuff like that is it's not a guy who has a high motor who's really engaged the jazz like did that. like they were at least pleasantly not maybe not surprised but they were pleased with how he did in the altitude here in his workout but as we've seen a million times workouts aren't the nba they're very different but the, the it, it's worth noting the jazz were happy about that and i, I think it's also worth noting that out of the the five players that Jazz have gotten in the last two to three drafts, they've only worked out one of them. Yeah. So the workouts are not the the end all be yeah. all for this process yeah. whatsoever. Definitely not. Uh, you've got Devin Booker twenty fifth, I believe, in yeah. in EWP. Uh, you know he's he's probably slated to go top ten, top eleven right now. What what is your concern with him? Because I, I mean, to me, he he looks statistically like the sort of prospect who who might be good because he is so young and, and contributing to to a good team at, at a very young age. Mm-hmm. Uh well I I mean he doesn't do anything he shoots <laughs> okay it's uh, he shoots and shooting um it's it's funny because often when you when you hear people talk about the draft you you, uh, you often hear the claim uh, about similar guys well we know he's got one NBA skill and that's shooting he's gonna be able to shoot but there's so many guys who come in and can't shoot who are shooters I mean you look at just this past year um who were, who are who are the shooters Stauskas Doug McDermott, McDermott. Doug McDermott yeah. um what what were they 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 did not shoot well this year no um, not at all. And they didn't do anything else. And 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 the problem is, there's lots of guys who can shoot, who can shoot the lights out, who have demonstrated they can shoot the lights out in NBA, and they can't get a job. Um, because I mean, I mean, what what would it cost to get Anthony Morrow signed? Yeah, um, Jimmer Fredette is still available. Yeah, I mean, this <laughs> it's it's that that's not an NBA career. You you can't just shoot. Um, do you Steve, not think Steve he has... Novak is probably the closest there you go player I can one. think of? And but he's he's. Such an extreme outlier in his shooting that it it doesn't count. Right? Do you not think that Bo- that Booker has some potential defensively? He's struck me as a guy that has the physical tools that he could be. He hasn't really shown much of it, but he it feels like he could be. Or am I off there? I don't know. I mean, that's kind of been the it's been the the narrative more recently. I think it's why he's risen. Is is uh, he came into the combine into the workouts and he's he's more physically impressive than people expected. Um, but I, I don't know. When you see that, you got to wonder. So why didn't we expect him to be athletic? Well, it's because yeah. when he was out on the court, he didn't look very athletic, mm-hmm. and, and that's that was always my impression. He didn't he didn't seem particularly impressive in that regard. Doesn't he? He was kind of T Rex arms, doesn't he? Or, or did did that get dispelled um, in the combine? I don't. I'm going to check right now. What I mean, his measurables. I, were. Either way, it, it, there's there's kind of a difference, and you, you run into it all the time between athleticism you can use on the court right. and athleticism you have just to be able to do high jumps really well. You yeah, know? he's yeah. got a six eight point two five wingspan, and, and he's six five and three quarters in shoes. So that's not like no. a massive wingspan. Yeah, it's not tiny fine, either. Yeah. I mean, it's not Kaminsky who's a shorter wingspan than his height. But yeah, like. yeah. Um, but uh, but so sh- and the thing with shooting is it's a it. it well, so the other thing is shooting some consistently. I, I think teams overdraft shooting and underpay it in free agency. So you have guys like Kyle, Kyle Korver float around and don't get, don't get. I mean, now he'll get he would get paid if he wasn't older. But but anyway, but guys float around for way too long with the ability to shoot. Um, yet in the draft, teams get really aggressive about drafting guys who the only thing we know about in this is that in college they can shoot pretty well. Mm. Um, it's <laughs> I was I was thinking it's funny because I keep talking to. 
to jazz guys because I've been probably worse on the jazz players than anything <laughs> the last few years. Yeah. Like, like I was, I, I, was I bought really, your Rodney Hood I hate yeah, so yeah, much. I was, Andy I was, was all in on that. I was really <laughs> low on Rodney Hood in part for for this reason, also because I I didn't think he could defend worth a lick, which I don't. I, I don't think Quinn Snyder has told me he, he didn't think Rodney Hood could defend worth a lick too. I mean he and yeah. Coach K talk with the whole Duke connection and he was, you know Rodney Hood was pulled in several games last year <laughs> because of how bad he was a def- of a defender he was for Duke. Yeah. Then you come in this season at the NBA level and he's average as a rookie, which is which is an accomplishment. I think he was la- more laterally mobile than we expected that he yeah. would be. But so he's a he was a guy who I was down on because of shooting and he. He, he it looks like he can shoot and it looks like it's helping him. Yeah. Um and, and and it happens. I mean, so if you look at the you know, if you look at the correlation between guys shooting in college and guys shooting in the NBA, it's really weak. You have a lot of guys who were great shooters in college who were not in the NBA, and you have guys who were really bad shooters in college who were great shooters in the NBA. Yeah. Um I, but at the very tail you do see guys like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson were great shooters in college and are great in the NBA. So it's it's not like it's useless, but is it's there anything that wrong. you can, yeah, use to try to figure that out? I mean, between the the guys who do translate and who don't, I mean, is there throw percentage you can look helps at? to a point? Yeah, I've right? tried. I've tried, and and, and uh, the best so three point percentage in college, three point attempts in college, and free throw percentage all carry about equal weight. So between those okay. the, those three, you, you you don't necessarily get everybody right, but you do a lot better. So okay. so if a guy puts up all of those. Start to be comfortable. If you see a guy who shot a high three percentage on low percentage low attempts and couldn't shoot free throws, like uh, Winslow would be a good example there. Um, then you get concerned. Okay. Okay. One more, I think, before we uh, have to go to our next break and potentially let you go here. And this is the local connection. Uh, Delon Wright from the Utah Utes, projected by many as a late first round pick. I think some places have him twenty seven, twenty eight right now in their mock drafts. Your model, much much higher, uh, has him eighth right now by EWP, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. I believe I counted that right. Yep, eighth uh, in front of Kelly Oubre, as a matter of fact. Um, what is your model like about him? Do you agree, and do you think there's a chance that he maybe rises up from some smart GM a little higher than that late twenties range that people are projecting? Yeah, I mean, I love. It. I, th- I think. Uh, I think. I think he'll be the best rookie next year. Oh wow! Um, I mean, I, big proclamation. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't think he'll win rookie of the year, but I think um, if he falls into a situation where he gets to play, I think he'll be the best player. Huh. Um, I think he's excellent. I mean, I, I think he's 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 the most NBA ready player. Um, I'm tweeting that in right a second. Now. I hope you <laughs> know that. I'm tweeting that you said that. Uh, but uh, I've, I've been saying it for a year now. I said it about. I okay. said he would have been the best this year too. So um, we didn't get to see that. But uh, but I but yeah. I mean, he does everything. He's he he does everything on the court. He 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 he's not, he's not super athletic, but he sure looks athletic out there to mm-hmm. me. Um, and he does things that athletic people do. He gets rebounds. He gets steals like crazy. And I don't think I don't think he's necessarily getting them because he gambles. I I, I mean, I've watched a lot of. On right play, and I think he's an excellent defender. Um, and uh, so I've, I've brought up the the player comparisons a couple times, and um, yeah. uh, so to double down on the local connection, if you if you put him, if you look at his his, his college statistics, and find the closest um, player season in, from past college seasons, um, Andre Miller pops up as huh. one, two, and three. Interesting. Uh, so, okay. so, so three separate Andre well, Miller yeah, seasons. Yeah, because there, I mean, there's a wait for for age, but he's so yeah. they're, they're they're in this cluster all by themselves, and it's, it was the same last year as well. So it's huh. Andre Miller's. I mean, it's not. It doesn't seem like the greatest comp subjectively, but in terms of what they what they do, having that impact on everything around them, 
um, it makes sense. And it's, I mean, it's hard to remember because Andre Miller's been in the league for as long right. as he's been. But <laughs> young Andre Miller yeah. is a very different thing than yeah. than old man post-up game Andre Exactly. Miller. Yeah. 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 He, he had some old man game when he was young as well, just in terms of his, you know, the the intelligence. But, but I think Delon does too. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think I think that's the kind of impact he could have in the NBA. Cool. Well, uh, Lane, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Lane Vastro, everyone. You can find these projections on nylonkalculus.com. Um, we're so excited to have you on in studio. Like I was telling Ben, I had no idea that you were from Utah, a, a Utah-based guy, because I had always read your stuff on, on like the Timberwolves blogs and on Nylon Calculus. So when I found that out, I was incredibly excited. Had to bring you in from down from the hill. And, uh, <laughs> and anyway, thank you. For joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thanks very much, and, and good luck on your trip next week. You're going to be gone for the draft once again. Two yeah, straight so, years. so don't try to tweet me. I won't be around for the next <laughs> okay. month and change. So. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Excuse Whoa. me. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks again, Lane, for joining us. we got to take a break. On the other side, though, we're going to be talking more about the, the draft as well as the Jazz Summer League. Utah Jazz Summer League coming up. Las Vegas Summer League coming up. Some other Jazz news as well to, to announce. So we'll be talking about that next on the Jazz uh, Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett joining you as always. Uh, thanks again so much to Lane Vasho for joining us on the show. That segment was awesome. Really if you didn't great. get a chance to listen to it, this show will be up online after the show at both ESPN700sports.com and saltcityhoops.com. So check that segment out. And I definitely recommend you do if you didn't hear it. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to talk about a couple non-draft things for a while, although right. the, the draft prospects will be here for, for what I'm about to talk about, namely the Jazz Summer League. Yeah. So, we're, we're going to talk a lot about the Jazz Summer League in, in July, of course, and I think there will be plenty of talk about to talk about. The Jazz will have at least eight Summer League games this year, so that's, that is a lot of fun on its own. And the Utah Jazz Summer League returns to Utah uh, and Energy Solutions Arena. So the Jazz will be playing on the 6th, 7th, and 9th here in, in Utah against the Celtics, Spurs, and 76ers, respectively. Then they'll travel down that Friday to the NBA Summer League in Las Vegas, take on the Miami Heat, on Saturday, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the presumptive number one pick um, on Monday, July 13th, and the Phoenix Suns, Tuesday, July 14th. Then they'll stay for at least two games in that tournament that the Vegas Summer League plays somewhere between the 15th and the 20th. For Salt City Hoops' sake, uh, both you and I will be covering the Utah Jazz Summer League and the Las Vegas Summer League. Uh, Which I'll, dates are you going for Vegas? Do you know yet? I'll be there from the 10th to the 15th. Okay. So I'll be there for the first five days, and I think you'll be there kind of in the middle. like the, 13th to the 16th, maybe the 17th. I'll cool. be there. Yeah. So you're, you'll we'll kind of have hopefully everything covered with with that coverage schedule. Maybe not if they win the tournament. Neither of us will be there if they're there winning the tournament right at the, the end. The Summer League is funny because everyone leaves early because yeah. they, you know, they, you'd rather watch 16 games in, in the course of a day rather than just like the two or three like there is at the end of the tournament. Plus nobody uh, who's not from Vegas can stay in Vegas for a week and a half straight <laughs> without just going insane, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. So uh, instead of going insane, we, we prefer to bring you better coverage throughout the year, but regardless, we'll still be at... Vegas Summer League, um, covering it. Have you ever been down to Vegas before for Summer League? Not for Summer League. No. It is super fun. I'm stoked. I'm really um, stoked. First of all, I'm going to meet like 150 people in person who I consider friends but have never met in person, which is going to be awesome. <laughs> Yay, online friends. Yay. We're so nerdy. Yeah. Um, 
And honestly, the best part is that like all of the random NBA people who are there, Absolutely. you know, like the entire leagues there, you know, you'll see like Larry Bird over in this corner, and then oh look, it's I don't know Willis Reed or something, you know, like uh, it's just kind of crazy the the random NBA people that you see walking around as as between the arenas and what what have you just watching basketball like you are. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's a true basketball nerd event. And if you're passionate, I, I encourage you to check out the Summer League in Vegas, too, uh, as well, of course, the, the Utah Jazz Summer League here in Salt Lake City. We're going to see some good play. I mean, assuming they play in the Summer League, the Jazz will see very likely the first overall pick from the draft and also the third overall pick from this year's draft yeah. if, they, if they both play for Philadelphia and Minnesota, respectively. Philadelphia may draft someone who can play again. Probably. That, that's just what they do. They'll draft who could who There's could not even anyone who's really yeah. on the list, but they'll still probably find a <laughs> way to do they'll it. They'll be injured somehow. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're still excited to, I mean, maybe we could see Embiid. No, just kidding. He'll probably be out for summer league. Yeah. Maybe we can see, you know, Sarich isn't coming over. Sarich I don't know. coming either. No, I'm more excited for okay, Minnesota. Okay, whoever's number three. Yeah, but Minnesota and, and the number one pick watching Carl Anthony Towns is going to be. There's no chance they send Wiggins, right? So much fun. They might. He's, you think they might? Is, uh, they might not. send Levine. I think Levine, there's a good chance they, Levine is uh, there. They should send Levine. Yeah. He needs as much seasoning yeah, as possible. Yeah, he definitely does. That, and that more than anything, I am so excited to see Dante Exum. I cannot wait. I was another. That's another thing I was texting Dan Clayton about recently is that we're both just really, really stoked for about a month from now to see, specifically with his handle, I, we don't want to get deep into this, but I just, I'm really interested to see the developments he's made and whether he's ready to kind of harness his physical talents in this second year now that he's had a year under his belt. And the Summer League is a, is a big kind of barometer for that. If a guy can go out of his way and be kind of dominating in his second after in his second summer after being drafted that's going to say some good things yeah uh, agreed um other jazz news ante tomic is going to stay in barcelona after signing a deal that keeps him there through 2018 um use the jazz's leverage as we talked about yep no it was smart and he did and i think jazz fans are like frustrated with the entire continent of Europe right now because of what Tomic did. They're like, please don't draft any Europeans. Every European player is always a bust. If we draft another second-round European guy, I'm going to explode, blah, 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 blah. I, I mean, I've literally seen these sort of comments on Somebody Facebook. Somebody tweets you they're going to explode? They're going to explode. Nobody said I'm going to explode. But they were like, I'll be mad and, and boo Dennis Lindsay and blah, yeah. blah, blah. No, I mean, the entire continent of Europe is not at fault for Ante Tomic's wanting to stay in Barcelona. And uh, wanting to make money. It's a shocker that we all want to make money. And as a side note, Tibor Pleiss, who, by the way, is a European, um, will probably be coming over to the Jazz next year as well. So I, I, I would say a, as a backup or third center. So I was going to say, he's a he's a deep bench guy to me at this point. Yeah, no, which is fine because, you know, he's young. He has a, a chance to develop. But yeah. he is 7'2", so that's fun. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there is a real chance that he comes over. So I, I, I want to, um, I guess... Not make you hate on the 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 big European center guy as as necessarily a a distant memory because we we could see them as as early as next season. Yeah, I'm fine with Tomic not coming though. I've been vocal about that. I don't think he added what the Jazz need with what he'd be with the role that I think he'd be playing. I I love the passing. The passing is great, and he's a very obviously a very intelligent big man. But I just there's a few things as far and especially shooting that I'm was worried about. So I'm okay. Is he the opposite it. of Porzingis? I don't know. Maybe. Um, maybe that'd be kind of fun. Anyway, <laughs> uh, how about uh the Jazz working out? I have another workout tomorrow. Uh, they had two days off, which I, I felt like every day would be a workout there for a while. Mm-hmm. But indeed, that's it's we had two days off yesterday and today. Then Sam Decker 
and uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson come in tomorrow to work out against each other. That's Among a others, fun right? workout. There's... Yeah, I mean, there are four other players. There's yeah. a BYU kid, Skylar Hardly. Or, yeah, I mean, it's... Steals the spotlight a little. But, no. Those Sam yeah. Decker and Rondé Hollis Jefferson are what us true NBA fans care about. Um, right. And this is the home of the Utes. We don't have to care about the BYU guy, right? Yeah, right. it's true. Um, but those two players playing against each other is is going to be a really intriguing matchup for the Jazz. I, I, I think... You know, Hollis Jefferson is one of the the longest, best defenders in, in this in this year's draft, and Sam Decker, uh, I think, is a good defender too. I I think he can really show something off against Hollis Jefferson, who admittedly does not have the best offensive game in the world. But you know, I think that matchup allows you to see really how Sam Decker does against NBA-level talent. I'm not too high on either of these guys. There have been rumblings that the Jazz might be, um, and I'm definitely interested to see what Walt Perrin has to say and what others have to say uh, about this workout. I will say I have seen this on Twitter a lot where uh, because someone sees says Walt Perrin says something, they, they feel that that's how the Jazz front yeah. office believes. There's so much dissonance in in the Jazz front office net right now between I mean and, and in, in every a good front way. office this yeah. happens in every front in office in a good way where you've got different voices coming with different perspectives and Walt's there to deliver his workout and and scouting influence influence perspective you know Bart Taylor and the Jazz's stats department is going to be presenting that perspective and then it's Dennis Lindsay's job to to kind of combine all these different scouts and and video guys and stats guys together get their voices in the room along with Quinn Snyder and the rest of the coaching staff and, and hear all of those voices and then ultimately make the best choice depending on and from those individual guys' expertise. So I will say that, you know, Walt Perrin's absolutely in that conversation, but he does not represent the Jazz's front office and, and what they believe. Not singularly, at least, I think is what you're trying to say. Yes. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. that's fair. Okay. Anyway, that, I just wanted to make that new, that point, but... Uh, those little points of news are, are fun. We have little jazz news. In, little in stuff is happening, season. and I, man, I just I can't wait for next month. It's going to be so much fun. I know that it's not in the grand scheme meaningful basketball, right? Like they say, not to pin your hat on you know on anything that happens over the summer, basically, and that's true. But I'm just really excited. The Jazz have young players that I want to see. There, are, in particular, some specific skills with those guys. I want to watch basketball in person, which I'm going to get to do. Like that's I'm pretty stoked. Here's a way to look at the off season. The the NBA Finals cont- candidates this year, I guess, uh, contenders, the the Warriors and the Cavs, uh, they were both really set up by what happened in the last two off seasons. Yeah. You look at what the Cavs did with LeBron, obviously last season, and the Kevin Love move and and everything that happened then, um, and then the season before that when the Warriors made the trade with with the Utah Jazz for Richard Jefferson, Andres Biedrins, etc., freed up the money for them to sign Andre Iguodala, who in the end is your Finals MVP. I mean, those are really big off-season moves that these teams, neither of these teams would be there without. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the summer is, there's a reason why I think we've talked about it. SCH traffic goes up, does it not? Yeah, no, it's crazy. Salt City Hoops traffic explodes during the summer. Like May and June and July are are our best months out of the year by far. Uh, Maybe with the exception of like the trade deadline two weeks before and and this year after that because the Jazz actually made a trade. And we'll see how long that lasts once they start making the playoffs. I'm interested to see. Yeah, the the number five and number 12 pick are are much more interesting than like the number 20 pick. But um, I mean, it's still time i mean you look at like warriors fans and they're talking about david lee today maybe not necessarily the championship so yeah. anyway it's interesting let's go ahead and take a break we've got another segment coming in we've got more workout quotes from these guys and we'll talk a little bit more nba draft as well I- i'm gonna make you ben say who you think is the most likely selection for the jazz at number 12 in, hmm. in this next segment okay so we'll-, we'll talk about that that's coming up next on the salt city hoop show espn 700 
listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Masha K is offended that you're laughing right now. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> Keep it rolling. I've listened to this song so many times in my car, by the way. I believe and, you. And un, an embarrassing <laughs> amount of times where I'm just like, you know, let's pull up some Masha K. Uh, okay. Or is it over yet? No, it's still, this is a three minute long song that we're going to listen to all of. Just oh, kidding. no, we're not come on. This, uh, yeah, Masha Kirilenko, Andre Kirilenko's wife, recorded the song. You may remember it from a, a commercial of a clothing boutique here in Salt Lake City, which I forget the name of, but I, which I'm kind of embarrassed that I'm forgetting. But uh, <laughs> Masha Kirilenko is a lovely, is a lovely woman, and I this is a actually really well produced song, and I like it. So this guy is by Masha K. What, great, great song, Masha. <laughs> excellent song. Good, nice tattoo, Andre. Good, good song. Another one in our series of jazz-inspired songs um, or NBA songs. You know, we had the Steph Curry "Lean on Me" yep. remix. We've had the the jazz '0607, I think it was that year um, theme song by D Biz Ono. We haven't even played Too Big Yo. We have. We, you're right. We have not played Too Big Yo. Next week, next we week on the yo. program, we play Too Big Yo. All right, now that we've lost no half our listeners, listeners ever. <laughs> Too Big Yo is great. Like it's it's great that it exists. It is not great to listen to. Yeah, Too Big Yo is is painful to your ears. That's a bad song. All right, all right. This is not painful. Basketball. This is like easy listening. Like yeah, much okay. Basketball, Andy. <sighs> all right, let's talk about basketball. Um. Uh, We've had, uh, like I've mentioned in the last segment, we've had a ton of workouts through. I, I think it's somewhere approaching 90 guys that the Jazz have already had in. By the way, kudos to the in. Jazz bringing that many guys. Yeah, they they pay for each of these players individually to come in. You know, they pay the the flight and the hotel and everything else. It ends up being a couple three thousand dollars for each prospect to to run the whole thing. Um, and and so you know you multiply that by 100, 110, 120, and it starts to be really it's it, it you know it's it's expensive. It it's like the cost of of a minimum salary player. You know it, it's it's not nothing. So, um, and ultimately I think it does pay off with with the quality of signings that they're able to make during the season itself. Yeah. But let's let's play kind of the best of if you will, the best of workout quotes. We already played the Kelly Oubre one earlier in the show, but let's go ahead and play it again. I liked it. Kelly Oubre. You know, Jimmy Butler is a guy that's blossoming into a star right now. You know, he's a guy that I look up to, Kawhi Leonard. Um, James Harden's offensive skill is something that's, you know, compared with the best. So, you know, those three guys I really watch film on and I study, um, and I feel like I can be, you know, as good as or better than those guys. As good or better. No big deal. Nah. He's got it. It's nothing, right? He's gotcha. I mean, you know, frankly, he has at least the physical profile that it's not, like, impossible, right? Like, you see your guys say this where you're like, that is physically impossible. (laughs) This is, I will say, it's not physically impossible that he, it's incredibly unlikely, but it is not physically impossible that he becomes as good as a couple of those guys. Because he's, his physical profile, he's one of the top high school guys. We've talked about it before. He's just, Kansas can be a little weird sometimes as far as how they use their wings, Maybe the mental stuff that we hear about isn't correct. Maybe he's just super confident and maybe he actually does really work hard and buys into concepts and all that. You never know, is all I'm saying. Maybe. Yeah. Probably not, though. Probably not, yeah. 
Bobby Portis, though, also also was very confident in his own game, awesome. but he was also confident in his trash talking abilities, which I really like. Let's play that. Did you trash talk like KG? Yeah, all day. <laughs> <laughs> that was a quick one, but yes, that was. And so then, you can trash talk like KG is a, is a legitimate. You know, it's a it's not a skill. It, it doesn't really help you on the court that much. But if I recall correctly, pretty awesome. Your, your follow up question was, "Can you shoot the?" Because he had just compared it. He had said his three. Comparables that he wanted to model himself after in the league were KG, Chris Bosh, and uh, wait, who was the other one? Uh, I forget. Oh, gosh. I'm going to remember in a second. But anyway, and you asked, can you pick and pop like Chris Bosh? And I think he said, no doubt. And it was his <laughs> response. He certainly does not lack for confidence. See, it's funny because like Bobby Portis, I, I, I like Bobby Portis at least 50% because of the pictures of him on the internet that I tweeted, <laughs> which are like just kind of the eyes and the the clear effort he gives out on the court is yeah. is absurd like he's he's one of the dive on the floor guys like will give himself up for everything sort of basketball players which which I love you know I, there's a real effort is a definite nba skill and he has it and yeah. and i think that's Kelly Oubre does not and that to me gave Bobby Portis kind of the the reputation to be able to actually stand behind what he actually his his braggadocia if you will he, at least he's he's giving it out there all on the court every time he plays whereas with Kelly Oubre that wasn't necessarily clear last year yeah all right we got one more from uh, Miles Turner and then after that we're going to give a prediction or a vague prediction a piece yes the fact that they're so young that's a huge thing right there it's a young team guys will be able to make an impact here in the future you know for years to come I mean, I think the oldest guy on the roster is Trevor Booker. He's like 25 or 26 or something like that. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's just having a young team, you'll be able to learn with a group of guys that have been through it. I like that he, first of all, he did his research. Yeah. I mean, he's not the oldest guy because there's Elijah Millsap. But it's, it's close enough of, a reason, of an answer and Joe Ingles, but I guess he may or may not be on the roster for next season. Um, it's close enough of an answer that, yeah, he did his research. And he wants to be as part of a group that's around his age. He wants to age with them, I think, is kind yeah, of what I took from that. which is weird. I mean, I, I took that as well, and you can either take that as, as that and, and look at it as a good sign, and he wants to be a, as part of a developing core. I kind of took it as, like, he, he wants to make friends. Like Fair that's he wants, He's a 19-year-old kid who's, you know, mostly in the NBA to hang out and, and hang out with fun young kids, and they can rule the town of Salt Lake City together <laughs> and just have a great time. And I'm a little bit worried about that. He okay. also referencing like building relationships with the players and coaching staff while he was here. It's almost like he was at like a networking event. It, it kind of felt like to me. Um, okay. Well, prediction. We got like one minute left. Yeah, so let's, prediction. let's do it. My prediction is, despite that, and and there are some real questions with Miles Turner. I think ultimately he's probably the best prospect available. We're um, talking, by the way, guys, most likely to be actually selected by the Jazz, assuming they keep their twelfth pick. Yes, in a thank week. you. So you know, this isn't necessarily who we would draft, or but who's most likely to be there at number twelve and for the Jazz to take. And to me, I, I think it's Miles Turner. Yep. I think the combination of his his most he's most likely to be available while while still being the best prospect available. He does fit what the Jazz want to do in, in terms of shooting, I, and and he's young enough that Jazz and and Quinn Snyder can and can use his their kind of prospect development skills on him. That is my opinion as well, based on the things I've heard both from you and from others. And and I think there's the most likelihood of all those things together. I think Turner is the most likely. Yep. Okay. Well, we'll see if that's accurate next week on Thursday, the NBA Draft of Five. That'll be right here on ESPN 700. Thank you guys so much for listening. Check us out, SaltCityHoops.com. You're listening to ESPN 700.